census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. Uh, we are here, brought to you by the Dorkening Network and Deadly Grounds Coffee. And uh, we're here in the uh, Pat Cave of Magenta Manor, uh, coming at you sort of-ish, live-ish. Uh, but I'm not here by myself. I am joined, as always, by my co-host on the show. My co-host in life, she is... <gasps> The Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Queen Regent of Rosé, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen, it is Ashes Vaughn Nightmare. Is it live or is it Memorex? Mummerex? Do you remember those commercials? Of course I do. Back if in the days you remember of those burning CDs and stuff? No, that was for tapes. Memorex was for audio tapes. Right, but then they made the jump to I remember that commercial for the uh, compact the blank compact disc. See, this is showing our age that you gap could purchase right here. to burn mix well, I guess if, CDR I'm gonna call it a mixtape. CDRs but, uh, and CDRW. Remember you had the, the two and the, the rewritable ones ended up kind of going by the wayside. It's like, oh I like the rewritable because I can just I can make a CD, and if I get tired of it, I can just make a new one on the same CD. Yeah. But then you had to get the rewritable drive in your computer, and then they started coming out with DVD drives, and then rewrite. Yeah, it was a long, it was a whole Technology. thing. Technology. Yes, I remember the rotary phone. Um, so we are here today. We're going to be discussing um, the characters from 1991's The Mummy and uh, 1999's The Mummy and 2001's The Mummy Returns. Um, especially because, you know, we were going to do this last week, but we ended up with the uh, interview with Stephanie Kane. So it's like, all right, we'll put the episode out a couple days late and we'll do, we'll do our, ep our, uh, our uh, interview. But, uh, you know, especially with how the internet has kind of uh, rediscovered its love for Brendan Fraser. Even though he hasn't gone anywhere and he's been working, uh, he just hasn't been in as prominent roles as... You know who he is? If you think about it, do you know who who he he was 30 years ago? You know, 20, 20 years ago? I think he was still Brendan Fraser. Right, but his modern analog? Chris Pratt. Because... Chris Pratt was always like that chubby idiot in every in every movie and TV show that he was in, and Brendan Fraser was always like, you know, George of the Jungle and Encino Man. You know, he played like these airheads. Yeah. yeah, he played like these bumbling idiot characters, and then all of a sudden he gets like this one role, and it's like he's this swashbuckling fucking superhero. The, he he is twenty years ago, Chris Pratt. Okay, but he did a lot of other stuff in between those films that you said and The Mummy. Like, he had a 
really interesting career. Right. And he like, wasn't always playing a typecasted character. No, and neither was Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt went back and forth. He was in Leatherheads. He was in. He was a SEAL team guy. But like his most popular roles were him as a chubby. Like Andy Dwyer was never supposed to be a thing. He was supposed to be a one-off. But people really responded to him, and he became like one of the most popular characters on that show because of you know who Chris Pratt was. And then you know I love the joke that they made. It's like, oh, you really just stopped drinking beer, and that's how you got in such such great shape. It's like, yeah, all I did was stop drinking beer. It's like, well, yeah, that and sign a contract with Marvel. I mean, you know, if if only we all could have that diet, right? Yeah. Um, but he's also uh. Brendan Fraser's story is, is it's sad. Like he's, he had some really interesting times, some really sad times, which is why he stepped away from the spotlight. You know, he mm-hmm. was still kind of, he was working, but he wasn't really, uh, he's working he wasn't working, um, the same way that he was in, you know, throughout the, throughout the nineties. And he went through some really dark times and depression and, uh, ultimately, uh, his wife divorced him, and you know he he went through this really tumultuous time. Um, and I believe his mom died too. Like it's it's a really it's a really sad story, which is why his comeback is so great. You know, not only is he just a really nice guy, but you know him getting all of these accolades and stuff, and being told like in that uh, viral video that the internet still loves you and people still love you, and to see him kind of you know just get a little a little clumped, you know. Um, he deserves it. He deserves everything. And he has some films coming up, some like high profile films mm-hmm. coming up too. Uh, one with uh, Martin Scorsese, another with, I think it's David O. Russell that he's, he did a, he either did a film or is shooting a film with. Uh, that's coming out too. So, No I Sudden mean, Moves is the, uh, the, well, there's a Steven Soderbergh, but it's like Don Cheadle, Benicio del Toro, David Harbour, John Hamm, mm. Brendan Fraser. Like, Kieran you know, it's, it's very similar to like uh, Keanu Reeves. You know, Keanu Reeves never really stopped working. He just kind of had like a little bit of a lull in his career. And then, you know, pretty much John Wick brought him back. Well, he did a lot of like stuff that you didn't see. Like he was he was almost like doing the Nick Cage row. So there was like Man well, of I, Tai Chi. I know Chi he was and... in a lot of indie films as well, but yeah. he wasn't in I mean, but he also wasn't doing as many films, but he wasn't in a lot of these, you know, high profile blockbuster films, you know, stuff that everyone has has seen. Uh so to the average person, it's almost like they fall off the face of the earth. I mean, obviously they don't. They're people. They're still doing things, but they're just not not necessarily living life actively in the public eye and putting out film after film after film. Um, But he's also like Keanu Reeves in the sense that he's just so gosh darn likable. You know, like he's just he's just one of those good guys who, you know, has has had, you know, a a few brushes with bad luck uh, and you just find yourself rooting for him. You, you just want him to do well, and I hope that he's thriving, you know? I hope that he's having a really good time. You know, it seems like he's, uh, 
he's gaining more roles. I'm I'm really interested to see the two films coming out that he's in. Yeah, I think I mean because be a that I mean that cast alone, like hello, like I definitely want to see that. But he's just the kind of person, especially with all of these other stories you hear about. You know, the excess lifestyle and all of these horrible people getting all of these accolades and just really, really shitty, shitty shit coming out of Hollywood. You know, it's nice to see one of these people to hear these stories and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm rooting for you. I want you to do well. Yeah. And it's it's because he is such a likable guy. Like he's always just been he was like a Tom Hanks or, or like, you know, like you said, Keanu Reeves. Like he's just been a, a nice, likable guy, you know, so. I mean, I, I think it's great. I mean, I haven't watched Doom Patrol, but I know that he's been doing stuff. And I know uh, I think that's this weekend. Um, he's going to be a. Uh, Fan Expo Boston. And I, I know he's a been bunch doing of people... um, some voice work and stuff too. Yes, uh, he's been on King of the Hill is one of the shows that he did. Uh, you know, in the early the, after the Mummy movies came out, because um, I think the third one, which we didn't watch, because um, it doesn't have Rachel Weisz in it, um, that one came out in 2008. So like, there was a pretty big gap between. Because the first two came out ninety nine and oh one, and mm-hmm. then this one comes out seven years later, and I think that might have had something to do with why why it didn't do as well. You know, like unless you're capitalizing on somebody's popularity, you generally don't want to have a movie come out like five, six, seven, eight years. I mean, I know we're getting another Matrix movie eighteen years after the third one came out, but, but I mean, Keanu, like, Keanu was on Reeves top is, of the world. Like he's having a moment right like, now. It's coming out the same, okay. the same month as John Wick four. Which so, I'm really excited about. Especially because Donnie fucking Yen is in it. That may be a character we need to revisit at some point Ip because or well, me, we have I mean well we haven't even talked about Ip Man. I need to see those films. Mm-hmm. But uh John Wick, you know, we talked about him when what before the third film came out or maybe even it was in in light of the the second movie coming out it's been a while since we've talked about him so and a lot of stuff has happened his character has evolved a little bit so i think that episode was called something wicked this way comes oh they're so punny i mean if anybody's followed the show they they're aware generally we make a joke of the title except you know when it's like an interview except when we don't which is very rare Uh, of the 268 now episodes i would say 260 have joke titles or like some sort of like inside reference but we have a getting into character question today and by a remarkable coincidence we both came up with the exact same thing and yours is probably worded better than mine so do you have it written down or I just have it in my noggin. Oh, okay. So I'll 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 so, introduce so you, it. Yeah, yeah, you can you can do it. So these movies take place in uh there was a little bit of debate off air like when this movie actually takes place because some sources will tell you 1926 and other sources will tell you 1923. Uh and we figured out that it's 1923 because they have an 8-year-old son in 1924. 19- 
1935 because the second film came out in 1933. Right, but this movie takes place in 1923. You have to give them a couple of years to so court and get married. So the first film came out, uh, the first film takes place in the 1920s, and then the second film well, they takes specifically, place 10 years later They specifically mentioned in the 1930s. Well, they specifically mentioned that, they, that this film comes out in 1933 and the kid is eight. So in order for him to have been born in, you know, he was born in 1925, which, if they, the movie takes place in 1926, he was born a year before his parents ever met. Oh, my God. So, nobody anyways, cares. This movie takes place in 1923 Egypt. So Howard Carter has not yet discovered the tomb of King Tutankhamun uh, and, you know, all the, the, the crazy stuff that happened there uh, with all of uh, the curses and, and whatnot. But... That got us thinking, you know, the pyramids are on my list of things that I want to see someday. Like, I would love to see the pyramids. So our getting into character question for today is, what are some historical landmarks or places or, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's man-made, but where would you like to go? What would you like to see? Uh, For me, obviously, the pyramids, I'd love to see the Sphinx. You know, there's lots of pyramids that are set up. It's not just the three big ones, because there's also three smaller ones. And, you know, the obviously the Sphinx and all the You obelisks. just want to go see where the aliens landed. Well, that's one thing. But if I was going to do that, I could also go to Pumapunku or Teotihuacan and, you know, see the, uh, the Temple of Kukulkan. I could go there. I could see those things. I could go to... Uh, Shit! Now it's it's complete. It's in Lebanon, and I'm totally blanking on what the name of it is. Uh, but the sand and the ground there is vitrified, which means turned to glass due to excessive heat. And there are radioactive skeletons there. And you know, according to ancient astronaut theorists, uh, it's because nuclear weapons were used uh, thousands of years BC. But like, I just want to see some of these like marvels of the ancient world. You know, like, you know, the, the stone heads on Easter Island, the, uh, you know, Stonehenge, um, you know, any of these, these amazing places. You know, the Great Wall of China is another one I'd love to do. And when I was doing Kung Fu, they actually had a trip that went to China and like, you know, you know, in order to train, but there was also some sightseeing that was done, and uh, unfortunately, I did not have like the thirty-eight hundred dollars to take that trip because I would have absolutely loved to do that. But uh, Ashes, what about you? What are some places that you would like to see, uh, or places you would like to go? So, uh, on the top of my list, near number one, is the Galapagos Islands. Mm. So that is where Charles Darwin visited in. 1835 and studying the various vast amounts of species on that uh, island. I believe it's an archipelago. Um, <laughs> what? Archipelago. Archipelago. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what they're called. Uh that's where he came up with his theory of evolution or it helped uh his visit there drove the uh, workings of, of this theory. And 
Um, he writes about it in his book um, on the origin of the species. And it just seems like, I mean, like, I believe it's near Ecuador. Um, yeah, it's, it's off of it's uh, South America. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's near Ecuador. Do you remember um, the name of his boat? See me now? No, the Beagle. <laughs> uh, no, I do not remember that. But I think it would be fascinating to kind of go. And so Charles Darwin is somebody who I, I studied quite uh, quite immensely when getting my degree. And I didn't know you were buddies. I, what? I didn't know you were buddies. I said we studied. I studied somebody. Him. Oh, so, somebody, somebody. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just find his work really interesting. Mm. I mean, even though his theory is still just a theory, I think that there's a lot of evidence to back that theory. Um, you know, there's still too much opinion in the way to really put it into uh, make it a law. But and too many religious uh, nuts. Right, right. I mean, like, I wasn't going to go into that, but there's just, there's, there's just a lot of... Uh, too many feet in the pool to really, like, you know... Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, there's, but there's, it's you know at the same time, it's like evolution's just a theory. There's too many things in there, so kind gravity, of watering it. Right? I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> just because that's, I don't I believe mean, it doesn't mean I too. go sailing like, through the ionosphere. It's the theory of gravity. You know, they haven't. There's not enough is known about gravity to really. Uh, and everybody buys into make, the theory of centrality, and there's like there's whole like competitions for it. The theory of centrality is also known as the six degrees of separation, or as it's known in popular culture, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. But I think the Galapagos. I mean, not only you know is it uh, through pictures, anyways, a gorgeous, just absolutely beautiful tropical place. But it would be interesting to see firsthand some of the. Uh, things that he saw and like to iguanas. see well no the turtles Tortoise. the tortoises Tortoise. you know um, the birds be able to kind of put myself in his shoes for a moment and take in everything that he witnessed I mean obviously you know some of those species may have evolved between now and so, then yeah, slight differences. but you know it I would mean, just be really cool to be you know years. this is why he thought the way he thought like this is what gave him the information to get his brain you know the, the 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 wheels turning so to speak to get him on this path to thinking evolution so um i just think that would be really cool also you know what would be a really cool place to visit before it completely disintegrates the titanic oh which, i'm gonna go half? find that necklace which yeah which half Old of the Titanic? Oh, bitch, threw it in the ocean. I'm going to go find it. Oh, that would be cool. I was, ocean. I was thinking, like... I'm going to listen to Celine Dion on my headphones on the way down. Do you know what the worst You're part about that whole thing is? All right, so when she... There's no When she dies, right, who does she see? She sees Jack, right? I'll never let go, Jack. Now, based on the go. evidence that's in the, the, the movie, we can see that she married, had several children... Like, she had relationships that she presumably, you know, had uh, some sort of emotional attachment to these people over several decades. Uh, but, no, it's Jack. Oh, I knew this guy for two because days. We hooked up once. those other guys weren't mentioned in the movie. I know, but it's still fucked up that that's... Movie magic. 
Uh, Imagine being that her husband. Absolutely fantastic to go down and witness firsthand the ruins of the Titanic. I mean, there is so much lore about around all of this. You know, the fact that it wasn't even found until 1985. Yeah, around then. Uh, let me just double check. It was I know it was Robert Ballard in the Alvin, which we did get to see a, rep, a recreation of at a Mystic. But it just fascinates me to no end. And the fact that when they found it, I mean, obviously... September... How about that? September 1st, 1985. Oh, happy birthday! 36 years ago today that we are recording this. How about that? Happy birthday, Titanic discoveration. But I think, I mean, you know, much like Bruce Valanche, I have a thing about the uh, fabulous tragedies in history. And there's something about the Titanic that's just, I mean, so sad. Like, obviously, it's it's, it's a very sad series of events that, that happens. And I think anything that happens where a lot of people lose their lives is, you know, nothing short of a, a tragedy. But um, how it happened, like why it happened, how it happened, and the wreckage itself just is, is completely just fascinating to me and I think to be able to go down there and see some of the wreckage I mean I know some of it has disintegrated already um I've been down there over a hundred years you know you're not going to find any remains for the most part at this point no but one of the things they did find unless I'm confusing this with the Bismarck um which is another ship that Robert Ballard was looking for uh, even before he looked for the Titanic, he wanted to find the Bismarck. Uh, a single solitary boot just among the wreckage, just a boot. Like, not what the Canadian is that, kind, a boot? Not the Canadian kind. But no, it was just like they, they, did, they did have a, a, a mini freakout because they came across what they thought was a skull, but it was a porcelain doll head. Mm-hmm. And well, like yeah, the way by, the light shone on it. Because by that point, any human... Re- okay, not to get super disgusting here, but any human remains um, would have been, A, imme- you know, immediately or almost immediately devoured by well, they wouldn't ocean have made life. It. They wouldn't have made it down there. Like, they would have flowed up, like, it's 14,000 feet down. Like, they, I don't even think any human remains would have made it. But, you know, the bone would have disintegrated by this point as well because oh, yeah. of the, uh, the salt water content. And there's the a, there's a word for it, too. Yeah, it will, and, the, and the pressure. And yeah. that's what's um, part of the reason why the Titanic itself is disintegrated. It's not only just the pressure down there. I believe it's a specific algae that's on the ship. It, it that hangs is like eating. ice. It, they call them rusticles because that's what it looks like yes. hanging from like the bow. Which makes it look way more eerie. Than it already is, um, but that is the algae that is eating the ship, and you know they're thinking within the next fifteen twenty years it may not be there anymore. That yeah, they did. So there's a book by Clive Cussler that they did make into a movie called "Raise the Titanic," and this was made in the early '80s. The book was written before that, and they were able to, with like you know. These big inflatable, like, they almost look like rafts, but, like, they put these balloons underneath the Titanic. They burrowed under it, and they lifted it up out of the water, and somehow they were able to 
raise this thing back up to the the, the surface, uh, not knowing, you know, what we knew a few years later that it actually snapped in half, mm-hmm. despite all the eyewitness testimony. Like a lot of people didn't believe it. It's like, yeah, the ship broke in half. No, it didn't. You were just seeing things in hysterical. Yeah, I was. But I saw a ship break in half. Like, that's something that you'll fucking remember. You know, like... uh, But nobody believed them, and they did. They found half the ship, and then they found another half of the ship two miles apart. Um, But they they did, at one point, try to move the, the... the front of the, the aft section, the front of the ship, I think it's aft. It's either aft or stern, and I, I, don't, I don't boat, so I don't know. But they tried moving it, and they were able to move it, like, a short distance, and, like, all the supports and everything snapped, and, like, weird shit was going on, and, like, everything malfunctioned. So they're like, you know what? Let's not move this. Let's leave it where it is. Because it's like you are essentially disturbing a gravesite. Right. Well, I mean, like, there's that, you know, it's, it's, uh, at this point, a living memorial, which a lot of boat wreckages are at this point. Um, I'm trying to remember one. It happened in the Hawaii. Edmund Fitzgerald is that, Yes. That wasn't Hawaii. That was, uh, Lake Superior. Is uh, that? Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I was watching an episode Lake of Superior the has Corp show that I like to watch. 30,000 ships that have been destroyed in the Great Lakes because of the unique... Like, this is a a thing for another day, but, like, there are certain ways the waves form, and, like, like, there was one I was looking at where there's, like, a dip between two waves, and the way the, uh, the weight of the ship is distributed, like, all of the weight is in the middle. Like, imagine holding... You have your hand on the, the very front and another side on the very end, and, like, you have something that's, you know, super heavy, it will collapse in the middle. Like, you would never hold something one end and the other end. You would support the middle of it because that's where the, the weight is. So this thing, this is what happens to the boats. They'll snap. And they also do it the other way where the one wave goes in the middle and mm-hmm. the two ends snap. Like, there's so many different ways that these... Pre- and these are huge fucking tankers. Like, these are giant mm-hmm. ships. It's not just, like, little boat. I mean... I'm counting little boats in the 30,000, but, you know, it's not just that, because they would take, uh, according to the song by, uh, uh, oh my god, I can't think of his name, but the guy who sings The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, um, they were hauling 20,000 tons of iron ore from, like, Cleveland to Detroit or Detroit to Cleveland because that's the quickest way to do it just straight across Gordon the water. Lightfoot. Gordon Lightfoot. I should have known that. I love that song. Um, and funny, like, you know, talking about disturbing grave sites and whatnot, uh, people found the ship and they, they never found a body, not one. Not one body was ever found. And they knew right where it went down and, like, they went to find it and no one's ever been recovered. Um, but the... Uh, you know, people like essentially grave robbing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a crew went out with some of the family members, um, and they were able to retrieve the bell. They wanted to get the bell before uh, anyone else took it. And when they took it up out of the water, the bell chimed once as it came out. The bell that was on the salvage boat instantly broke off where it was and fell and crashed into the deck. 
Oh, wow. I just thought that was a really cool story. Like, because I was like, what is this Edmund Fitz? Like, what is the significance of this? And why are they writing a song about it? But yeah, like, that's something I would love to, like, kind of go along the bottom and, like, see all these different I mean, shipwrecks, I plane wrecks. I know that there have been several documentaries with footage, you know, of people going down there in gear. And, you know, you could see it that way. I know uh, drones have gone down there. But I feel like it, there would be something about seeing it firsthand and having the opportunity to, you know, just kind of dive down there and... Go into some of these parts. Go, Speaking go into of Loch Ness, I would love to go to Loch Ness and dive around and see what's in there. You want to find Nessie? Come here, Nessie. I brought you snacks. I got you some Nessie uh, treats. But I think, and you know, they're people. To see Pompeii too would be fantastic. Oh, I think yeah, the that ruins would be of so incredibly eerie, and I uh, just uh, I would like to see some incredible. of the concentration camps. Like, which are still intact. Like, that would be... Like, I'm not doing it because it's like, oh, I'd love to see that. It's like, I like history. I like learning about this stuff. And, you know, if you listen to this week's episode of Shark Bites, you will understand, because I interviewed uh, a Turkish writer, and the, the whole gist of her book, like, the whole driving force is the Turkish invasion of uh, the city Smyrna, and she grew up in Turkey, and so one of the questions I asked her was, when you moved from Turkey to Greece, because this was uh, basically a conflict between Turkey and Greece over this city, and the city was burned, I'm like, did you learn it differently in Turkey than you did in Greece? And she went into the whole, like, this is what I learned in Turkey, this is what I learned in Greece, Here's the real story, because you don't get the true story on either side, which is very interesting. And I would like to know what the history is. Like, I would like to be there and experience it. You know, it's the same reason why uh, we went to Gettysburg on our way to Williamsburg in 1995, uh, my whole family. Like, driving through the battlefield at night, seeing, you know, where history has taken place. It's one of the reasons that we like going into Boston because there's so much stuff that went into Boston. Like you can see the freedom trail on the ground in red, you know, like you can follow the freedom trail to the old North church, which is pretty awesome. I mean, and there's so much of U S history that we don't know, or we don't necessarily know the true story of like to be able to walk the trail of tears mm -hmm. to get a perspective, a different perspective than you know, the, and, and the trail of tears, uh, contrary to popular belief, isn't one direct trail. It's a bunch of trails, but that's ultimately what they called it because of the events that took place leading up to it during the trek and after. It was just it's just absolutely heartbreaking. Um you well, know, but, I, but but to but to be able to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. Um, I mean, it's still it's a it's a different circumstance. But like reading about this stuff is abstract. Like hearing about it is abstract. Like someone could tell you. You can't put it into perspective until you actually physically see something. Right. Like if you're, you know, if you've never been to New York City, and someone's like, "Oh, the Empire State Building is," however many, you know 
a thousand, you know, eleven hundred feet tall or whatever it is. Like, okay, well, I can get you know that's you know like five hundred of my TV. Oh, you know that's that's kind of cool. But like until you see it, you can't. Or, understand um, it. It's abstract. Or speaking of like the 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 gravity of something, you know, tying it into New York, going and seeing the Statue of Liberty, this lady in green that welcomed so many immigrants into this country, you know, through Ellis Island, you know, on their way, they see the Statue of Liberty and they know that they're going to be safe. They think that they're going to be safe. You know, we are out of our situation. We're going towards promise. We're going towards a land that will provide for us and, you know, give us opportunity. Again, so they thought. Um, But to be there and to see that in person, you're just like, it's... Books don't do it justice, and to see the plaques and the markings and, you know, all of these little um, tributes throughout, you know, to the people who came to, you know, all of the immigrants, you know, the, the poem that's on there, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to, to breathe, breathe free, free. Um, seeing pictures of it in a book and seeing it in person like it's just it's two completely different things you don't realize the the gravity of everything until you know you actually see it so yeah and again that's that's part of the reason why i want to see some of the like you somebody can say oh yeah there's two million stone blocks in the the pyramid but until you see it with your own eyes and realize it's like yeah yeah a bunch a bunch of a bunch of folks with uh Copper hammers built this and quarried the the stone from sixty miles away. Yeah, all right. Yeah, sure, Jan. But like, again, you know, like stuff that we have done, being at the Cape and seeing sea lions. You see them on the. Oh, look at that! Look at the little oh, seal. Oh, look at him! Look at him! Isn't he cute? And then you see them, and they weigh like eight hundred pounds. And they're, I'm a sea puppy. And they're like twelve feet long. These massive fucking things. And I'm like, gonna suck out your soul. You're like, uh, no, not going not near those guys. Gonna stay away from them. You know, like let's walk the other direction because these things are absolutely massive. And like you don't like seeing a moose or a deer. Like it's it's so weird. But, uh, so, let us know what are some of the places you wanted. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? I think I'm good because we've already gone for like a yeah. half hour in this segment. Yes. And we still have discussions. We still have to, to talk, talk about, about Brendan Fraser. So, uh, but we definitely want to hear from you. What yes. are some historical places that you want to visit? It doesn't even have to be historical. Just Same stuff that you want to see in person and... See the Ruins enormity are, of. I mean, and, and Mesopotamia would be a fantastic place. Well, to visit Mesopotamia as well. is like Iraq. Like you have to be a little more specific. Mesopotamia is like Iraq and Iran. The ruins of Mesopotamia. Then that's like saying I want to see Greece. Like where in Greece? Like Mesopotamia was a region. I know what you're saying, like the specific specific cities and stuff. That okay, I, I apologize. I cannot think of the specific place right off the top of my head right now. But I've always been fascinated with that being like the first actual civilization. That Yeah, the cradle of civilization between the Tigris and Euphrates River with the fertile crescent, as it were. Yes. I also want to visit the dinosaurs. 
Which ones? All of them. Well, you can go back in time. We'll do that. All right, so we'll be uh, we'll, we're, we're going to go a quick play break. Land of the Lost, and we'll be right back. Speaking that was a movie with Brendan Fraser. Be a journey to the center of the earth, or one of those things. I don't know. He was in that, but yeah, we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings, weary adventurer. Do ye have a taste for the exotic? Do regular snacks no longer provide the thrill ye seek? Would ye rather eat a cod piece than another boring candy bar? Then it's time for ye to sink your teeth into Mythical Meats Exotic Game Sticks. Mythical Meats offers a wide variety of exotic flavors based on creatures of legend to give ye a snack experience of epic proportions. Like it hot? Try the Spicy Creatures Sample Pack, featuring dragon, chupacabra, and werewolf. More in the mood for something a bit milder? Try the Creatures of the Sky Sample Pack, with Pegasus, Griffin, and Phoenix. Can't decide on which one you want? Why not try the Exotic Flavor Sample Pack? featuring all ten flavors so you can find your favorite. Go to mythicalmeats.com to see the full selection of flavors and place your order. All orders over $49 get free two-day shipping. Mythical Meats Exotic Game Snack Sticks. So good, they're legendary. Many men have wasted their lives in the foolish pursuit of Harmonoptra. Most have never returned. I think you found something. I call it the doorway to hell. Oh my god, it does exist. You have unleashed a creature that we have feared for more than 3,000 years. He's the bringer of death. He will never stop. This summer, Universal Pictures invites you on an extraordinary adventure. Beyond life and time. And we are back. Uh, so we're going to be discussing uh, 1999 and 2001's Mummy and Mummy Returns. Uh, 
because this, first of all, great cast. Brendan Fraser, uh, Rachel Weisz, Arnold Vosloo, Oded Fair, uh, Adewale Akinoye Agbaje. Um, who's the other one I'm missing? John Hanna. Like, Not the guy who played for the Patriots. Different John A Hanna. really good-looking cast for the most part. Yeah, um, I know that there are uh, several folks, when we discussed and we posted that we were going to be watching this, uh, someone posted, like several people posted a meme or made a comment about something how like, uh, something along the lines of, you know, my sexual identity is the cast of The Mummy. I totally get it. I yeah, you know, after after watching this and this was this was a first time watch for me, both films. Yep. Um yeah, I get it. I I get it. Oded Fair? He was also I in Juice mean, Bigelow, Male Gigolo. You know, and uh and, and Brendan Fraser, he's he's always a snack. Like uh, Rachel Weiss in the second Rachel, one. Rachel, she okay, yes, I, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. She was absolutely adorable and captivating in the first one, and then she went super badass in the yep. second one, and it's just like, oh, oh hey. But I mean like she has an Oh, you're adorably a quirky. Day. Oh hey now. Well, and we'll get into that, too, the character evolutions between these two films. Mm -hmm. And I loved the fact that, I mean, and there's a reasoning why uh, they did this, but there was such a, even though the films were released two years apart, there is a significant time jump between the two years. Ten years. And that was because the director didn't want to have to work with a child. Steven Summers. Like, he didn't want to have to work with a baby. He was like, I don't do babies. So he decided that in order to just kind of eliminate all of that, he was just like, you know what? We're going to make you not a toddler, but like an elementary school child. And then I don't have to deal with you being annoying. And... That kid was really good, and the character was really good. Like, I liked Alex. Typically, I want the kid to Freddy die. Freddie Boath. Like, you know, when I think of a kid in a film, I'm looking at you, Babadook, like, just fucking obnoxious and ridiculous and stupid. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just rooting for the kid to die. But, like, in this one, I didn't want the kid to die. I liked the kid. I liked the way they introduced the kid, too. You don't really know it's their kid until that chain of events happens and you're like, oh, that is so definitely their kid. Because they found a way in one scene to encaps- you know, it, 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 to, to capture both personalities of both parents and meld it into this one child. And I was like, nope, that's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Like, and the kid was great. Quick-witted, funny. Like, when he's looking at Adewale Akinoye Agbaje, like, and he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And the guy, he's standing there looking at him. And he's like, fine, I'll turn around. And he's like, I don't trust you. You'll look. <laughs> like, it was amazing. He's so, uh, so good. So this being a first time, both of these being a first time watch for you, like, I had hyped these up to you, like, a significant amount because I really enjoy these. And when we posted that we were watching them, people were coming out of the woodwork like, oh, my God, I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. So what was your expectation going in? And then... How did you uh, feel afterwards? So my expectation going in, I um, 
because you hyped it up and because other people hyped it up too when you posted about it on the interwebs uh i'm like okay this these are people whose opinions i trust usually i don't value anybody's opinion but my own because at the end of the day i know what i like you don't uh and that's how everyone should handle their opinion by the way don't not watch something because somebody else said it was garbage you watch it and see if it's garbage for yourself uh but anyways i was this these are films that for some reason i don't know how just kind of flew under my radar when well, they came a out old for you you were 13 and 15 respectively when they came out um so i mean i i don't but they weren't really stuff that i was really interested in i at didn't the see time. them when they came out i ended up watching them with a couple of my friends who were like Oh my God! You know, uh, Mike and Christina, mm-hmm. and Mike's sister. I assumed as such. Mike's sister had seen each of them like twenty-five times. Was like, oh, they just keep watching them over and over again. I'm like, that's a weird thing to do. Like, I like movies. Like, my dad does this too. It's like, oh, I watched War Horse forty-seven times in three weeks. It's like, you know, there's other movies, right? Um, like I'll watch a movie and like I like it. Like Jaws and the Thing, I might watch them twice in a year you know because there are other movies i want to watch newer stuff and but like i get it with the mummy like back when i only had like 12 dvds like those were among them because i enjoyed those movies so much so you just keep going back to it's like oh i you know i'm not feeling well today i'm gonna throw on the mummy like they're so fun I mean, I was that way, too, when I was younger, when I had first moved out and realized that my DVD collection was not as big as I thought it was. You know, found myself watching the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, these films are so much fun. And dare I say it, the second one, even better than the first. Yeah. And I love Stephen Summers. Now, there are folks who are like, ah, oh, Stephen Summers, he did Van Helsing. Van I Helsing's fucking, fucking love awesome. Van Helsing. It's essentially the same movie. One of those, you remember what I just said? The DVDs that I had that I watched over and over again when I first moved out on my own because I didn't have many? Van Helsing was one of them. I have the steelbook of Van Helsing. I love that film. It is so much fun. Sometimes you don't need, like, uh, I don't really know what constitutes a good film. I don't know if there's, uh, you know, this this number system, this letter system that they put in place that, uh, you know, you need to have X, Y, Z in order to, you know, have a good film and it needs to rate X. But, you know, I don't care. I enjoy it. It's uh, fun. That if makes I a good feel film. like I've gotten my money's worth with something then I'm satisfied, you know? It doesn't have to be this huge cinematic masterpiece. All of the characters don't have to be super fleshed out. The story can have some holes in it. If I'm having fun with it, I can look past all of that. I mean, obviously, if you're not having fun with something, then those plot holes and the lack of character development are just blatantly apparent. But, you know, I thought these films were so much fun. I loved the way that they introduced the characters and kind of set everything up in the first one. The first one, not a whole lot of action, but they clearly 
set the groundwork for a sequel. And then when the sequel came out, I mean, that just kind of like right off the bat, boom, action. Yeah, and huge. it's pretty much, it's, it's almost nonstop action from you know start to finish. Huge but set pieces, too. what they were able to do is still capture the essence of these characters, not only evolving these characters, which is what we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, and you know we love a good character evolution because that's what we like to talk about oh, on this yeah. show. Um, you know, not only evolve these characters from the first film to the second film, but, you know, do it in a way that's complete. Do it in a way that makes sense. Do it in a way that these two characters, obviously, they get married, they have a child, they cohabitate. Uh, they live they, in a dump of a house. Oh, it's terrible, horrible. Who would live there? I mean, um, considering how much fucking gold they have started they taking with. traits of each. They, they, they've taken on traits of each other, mm -hmm. which is you know what a relationship typical is. What happens in a relationship, you know? And I just I really enjoyed that. I liked the the little subtle nuances and stuff that just kind of helped you know aid the story along. And I just thought it was fantastic. So I had a lo I loved the first one, but I had a lot of fun with the second one. And we see, you know, this is one of those films where you get a lot of show, don't tell. Like, you get to see that Brendan Fraser is a badass guy in the beginning of the movie. They're not going to be like, oh, well, it's not well, because like... Because they do a really good job of not only setting up the backstory... And they but... definitely have that ex machina moment, but, like, it makes sense because you, they've already determined, you know, like, the thing that scares away the guys that are about to shoot and kill him is this creature that has the power over the sands. Like, and the sand is flipping around and making a face, but, like, we already know that that's a thing because they said it at the beginning. That's part of the Hamdai, the curse that they put upon him for killing the pharaoh. Like, they set everything up, and, like, what seems like in any other movie would be, like, ridiculous exposition... Like, they mention it at the beginning, and they rely on you to remember what the stuff is that they said throughout the film. And well, and they even, don't give you any information that you don't need, either. And even uh, what's great is the scene with the cat. What did you say the first time you saw the cat? What's the deal with the cat? Why doesn't he like cats? And about a minute and a half later, we get that answer through... They, they, why doesn't he like cats? Cats are the guardians of the underworld. He will fear them until he is fully powered, and then he will fear nothing. Like, that's a normal line of conversation. It's not like, oh, we should find a cat because he'll be scared of them. Like, it's not like clunky dialogue or exposition. It's stuff that happens naturally. Like, they introduce that the cat is in the room, walking around while they're trying to pack stuff up. You know, like, it's, it's really well done. You know, we get to see him. Uh, we see that she's a, a klutzy doofus nerd. She knows her shit 
because it's like, why do I even keep you around here after he destroyed after she destroys the library, which is paralleled really nicely. And honestly, I never noticed until you pointed it out. Oh, with in Alex? This, with Alex in the second movie, when he knocks down all the columns. Oh, that it's was... It's exactly the same as when she knocks down all the shelves of library books. Right. It has, it's this domino effect, and it happens in you know a very similar fashion, and that's when I was able to be like, oh, hey, that's clearly their son, because the same thing happened to her when we were first introduced to, to Evie, to Evelyn. Yes. And, you know, obviously, like, she... Um, it it kind of gives me a little bit of, like, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, you know, her in this, mm. you know, um, room that's just full of books and, and all knowledge. of these bookshelves. And she knows all about and it. And she's just kind of, like, gliding through until she's not. <laughs> yeah, know? she doesn't have the grace and, you know, uh, and, and uh, this, this air of, like, you know... Uh, like she's a fairy floating through, like you yeah, know. Yeah, no, she this... definitely doesn't have that. She's definitely a. Uh, she's, she's a, a catastrophe. She's, she's a klutz, <laughs> but she's so compared lovable to her. And likeable. The other plagues were a joy. Yes, <laughs> but like you know, we even get you know a little bit of character about her, like in this scene. It's like, why do I even keep you around here? It's like, oh, because I'm the only one within two thousand miles of Noza catalog this. This library, I can read ancient Egyptian, I can read hieroglyphics and heretic. Like, I can do this, I can do this. Like, she's listing off her resume, but it doesn't seem forced. Well, and that's kind of what I loved about these character setups. So, obviously, you meet Rick O'Connell first, and, you know, they paint he's him. Doing. Yeah, he's doing. So, he's showing you, I am struff. I am struff. Struff. Strong. Strong and tough. Uh, str- struff. Struff. It's a new word, kids. Struffy Look it up. Janitor. Struff. He is struff. Um, you know, he. Are you struff uh, enough? <laughs> That's the episode title. Hanging struff. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging struff. Um, are you struff enough? Uh, but anyways, you know, the way that they introduce his character, you know, he's a wise ass. He's cracking all of these jokes. He's making light of the situation, but he's quick and he's strong and he's struck. But we do see uh, Evie save his life when the uh, Magi are boarding the boat trying to get the map and the key back to prevent the creature from being uh, awoken. You see the bullets firing ever closer to him, and Evie grabs him and pulls him aside just as the final bullet strikes right where his face was a moment ago. Like, so she's also, like, present in the moment. Like, and we do get to see a little bit of her, well, her badass she, side. Uh, like, she's being... She pays attention. Where, well, you she's know, getting... Uh, she's The guy with the hook has her around the throat, and she's like, what do I do? How do I get out of this? I know. I'll jam this fucking lit candle in his eye. Like, she's resourceful. And we find out why later on. Like, it's almost like her powers get revealed when the moment calls for it. Like, she hadn't right. had to deal with that. Right, and we find out more in the the second film as to who she was in a past life, and I kind of love that they brought that in. I am not so historically accurate. All, well, no, not historically accurate, but um, I anything with reincarnation, I'm so here for. I believe in it. I love it. So, speaking of which, this is actually a pretty good segue. So, one of the uh, antagonists throughout the film, uh, one of the not antagonists but like hurdles. Uh, you know, something that's keeping the heroes from their goal is the 
ravenous, flesh-eating scarab beetles. Now, in Egyptian mythology, the scarab beetle is sacred. There is actually a version uh, of the god Ra, the morning manifestation of the god Ra, is called Kepri and has a scarab beetle for a head. You know, like in a lot of uh, uh, Egyptian art and hieroglyphics and, and, and um, depictions of gods, like many of them will have like the head of a jackal, like Anubis, or the head of a, 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 a hawk, like, or a, yeah, head of a hawk, like Horus. Um, he has just like the scarab beetle, and it almost looks comical, but the reason that the scarab beetle is... Uh, it's the symbol of uh, rebirth and creation. Like, that's what he is the god of. He's the god of creation. Because scarab beetles are known by another name, dung beetles. Dung beetles, uh, they roll these huge balls of uh, animal excrement, like almost perfect spheres, or as close as you can get, and they will drag them in a straight line uh, to specific nesting areas, and they will let nothing, no obstacle in their way. You put something in their way, they will go over it. Like, and they lay their eggs inside this dung ball. And when the beetle emerges, it emerges fully formed. So it's not like, you know, they have a larva, and then the larva goes into it, and then, you know, or they lay an egg, and the larva comes out, and eventually the larva grows into, you know, like a caterpillar will eventually grow into a butterfly. With scarab beetles, when they emerge, they are they emerge fully grown, and that's why they are uh, associated with uh, creation. So I just thought that was a really fun fact. And you know where I learned that? Ancient aliens. Talking about the Egyptians and why the scarab beetle is so uh, prevalent and important. So kind of a sidestep here. I think ancient Egypt and all of this, like Egyptology and the conspiracy theories surrounding all of this is completely fascinating and there is something like ancient aliens some some of these conspiracy theories are kind of far-fetched but some of these these historians these researchers do their research to the point where uh some of these conspiracy theories actually have some weight to them well i mean there was there's an obelisk in um in, uh, in Egypt, oh, there's lots of obelisks, but uh, there's also a statue, and it took uh, 120 days, and it took like 12 different countries sending equipment to move this statue, because the statue was literally sinking into the sand, and it would have like you know just disappeared at some point, so they had to move it to different ground, and they had to cut the statue into pieces and move it with all these all this modern equipment across the desert to a safer location and it took months to do it this was a single piece of stone they're like yeah we can't move this single piece of stone like we have no way of doing it it is impossible with all of our modern technology we cannot move this so they had to cut it into pieces and it still took months to get there how is it that it was built in the first goddamn place with copper chisels and stone hammers and built to the precision that it was built? Like, when I was talking about Puma Punku earlier, there are these uh, stones 
that today, like somebody tried to replicate how they, um, how they, uh, with modern techniques, couple different uh, options, how they cut those stones, and they couldn't replicate it. Like they couldn't do it. Like it was impossible. And like if you take your finger and you run it across like one of these these cuts of stone, it is sharp enough to cut you. After, you know, three four thousand years, still, like just sitting right, and, out and exposed to the elements. Well, in in the desert, something that should have. Well, no, been... this this was in a rainforest. Oh, but... I was say, uh, but anyways. Um... Also, Cleopatra would be a fantastic person for us to cover at some point because what has been shown to us, what we know, and what is historically accurate, two different things. Yeah. Uh, But anyways, so in the first film, they are looking for, what is it? It's the the Book of Amun-Ra. Yes. Which is made of pure gold, and instead of finding the book, Evie stumbles upon Imhotep's remains. Because he was buried at the the foot of Anubis, which is where the book was supposed to be. Right, but instead she finds the Book of the Dead, and she reads from that. The book of, and we find out in the second, the Book of Dead gives life, while the Book of Life takes takes life away. Yes. So, in the process of reading from the Book of the Dead, she summons Imhotep. Hey, no harm ever came from reading a book. Uh, she revitalizes I mean, him, yes. Did it, though? Uh, did it? Well, I mean, we learned that in 1983 with Evil Dead. Hawk to... No, that's not, that, that's not until uh, the third one, but like just reading from the Necronomicon. Right. But uh, Klaatu, Barada, Nictu, uh, funny enough, were... The skiff guards outside Jabba's palace, that's their names, and that was the command given to uh, the robot in The Day the Earth Stood Still, which the remake starred Keanu Reeves. But I thought that was so fitting for her being who she is, what her character is, the kind of like accidental klutz. You know, of course I would read from the wrong book. And she even had a difficult time pronouncing certain things. No, she knew what she was oh, doing. Oh, she knew what she was doing. Jonathan, was Jonathan didn't, know, didn't know. Jonathan didn't know what the symbol, the stork symbol was because she is. She knew exactly what she was talking about. Because remember when they had the confrontation with the Americans, they were like, she's like, oh, we can go dig somebody, somewhere else. And the guy who played... Uh, the dad from Jumanji was like, they're led by a woman. What does a woman know? She's like, way more than you. Except she kind of reinforced his, like, you know, sexist stereotype when he's like, no, you must not read from the book. And then everybody was covered with fucking locusts. And, like, three people got eaten by locusts because there was a swarm of, like, a billion of them. And he's like, oh, what have we done? I, We... Excuse me, this book was locked and wrapped in your arms while you were sleeping. She stole the key, she stole the book, opened it, and then read from it. More like, the fuck have you done, lady? That's never going to change his his sexist views on gender roles. You know? He's like, we're out in the desert for five minutes, lady steals my book, reads from my book, now I'm covered with bugs. The fuck? Not cool. But, I mean, 
that's not something that's out of character for her, though. She's so intrigued and interested and like has this thirst for knowledge that she's like, no one's seen this in 5,000 years. Yeah, I'm going to fucking read from it. Like maybe next time don't read out loud, you know, and or just like translate it to English, which she does. She talks, you know, she's translating it at the beginning and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is this is what this says. This is what this says. And then uh, for no reason whatsoever, she's like, now I'm going to start reciting spells. I don't know what they do. You know, kind of like Doctor Strange is like, maybe you should put like the bad stuff that happens on the page before the spell. So, you know, like, hey, warning, if you do this spell, mummies will come back to life and try to make out with you. But at least he start, he tried to make out with her after he got his tongue back. I mean, that's uh, at least at least he was nice enough to do that. I mean, maybe that was his way. He's like, you know, I uh, just get my tongue back. You know, and that's actually kind of a, a cool thing too. the way that they reconstituted um, him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he has to take life in order to gain. And he parts of himself back. Everybody that stole the canopic jars. So the different the jars had different things in it, like. Uh, your heart was removed, and they. I loved the fact that they showed that the heart was being removed because in Egyptian mythology, the way you crossed over uh, was your heart was weighed, and if your heart was heavier than a feather, you would go to the underworld. Uh, your heart would be light if you spent your life doing good deeds and good things for people. Uh, so if you had a heavy heart... Hence, Hence, that is where the terms lighthearted comes from and, and with, with heavy a heavy heart. heart. Yes, it has its roots in Egyptian mythology. So that's why you're able to, uh, you know, cross over. But that's why your heart was taken out. And um, that has, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, historical records from Egypt where their gods would be, the way they describe it, and again, you know, it's all open to interpretation. It almost sounds like uh, being put into cryogenic stasis or like hypersleep uh, because they appear dead, but they are revitalized. And that's where the belief comes from that, you know, you're buried with all these possessions and all these things because you will, once the gods come back, they will revitalize you. And when you think about it, like the way the mummification process is done you are wonderfully preserved for thousands say, of years. I love mummies so much. We've They're seen like some. dehydrated uh, zombies. People jerky. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's really cool and that's why Yeah, you know, we went to the um Boston Museum. Yep, Museum of Science. No. The Art Museum. The Art Museum, yes. Yeah, they had a whole uh Exhibit on Egypt. I was all over and that. They that had was so cool. different uh, different sarcophagus. Sarcophagi. Sarcophagi. Excuse me. Um, you a coffin dude? No, I'm a sarcophagi. But they actually showed you some of the mummy remains, and it was just it was just so fast. I, I love ancient Egypt. It's so fascinating. Yes. But anyways, um, so I kind of like that. So I mean, that's where we get the big bad for the film. It's Emotep. And he is back and he not only wants to uh, con- reconstitute himself. Hey, that's first but order of business. He right wants there. to bring back his beloved. Anaxunamun, who is 
for Anak Sunamun, he was he was cursed, and after three thousand years, he still loves her. Um, but yeah, we get uh, one of the things I was going to say is you know you get to see like the holes like when he raises his priests later on in the movie, you get to see where the heart was ripped out, and like that's why he wants the jars, and each guy that has a jar. Uh, because he has the jar, he's able to take that back and take their fluids, assimilate them, like their parts, into him. Which is really... And the animation, the way they did it, was fantastic. Um, but one of the characters from this film, and he plays essentially the same character in Van Helsing, is Benny. Uh, Benny was... Uh, with with Rick, uh, Brendan Fraser's character at the beginning, uh, when they are facing down an army. I don't know who they're fighting for, but he was speaking French, so I'm not sure. Like, they don't really go into it, but it might have been the French Legion, like Legionnaires. Like, I don't know. Um, but they were fighting against uh, an army in Egypt, and Benny ran away because Benny's a coward. Benny is the antithesis of O'Connell. Mm-hmm. He will do anything to save his own skin and stay alive, uh, whereas O'Connell will do whatever he can to... He doesn't want to die. But he also wants to save those around him. But he wants to save Evie and he wants to save the world, as opposed to Benny, who works directly for Imhotep, saying, uh, it is better to serve at the right hand of the devil than be in his path. And we get to see how Benny gets to serve Imhotep. Mm. He comes across Imhotep, and Benny pulls out a cross and starts, you know, may the good Lord protect me and shepherd me, and, no, okay, and he pulls out all these necklaces that all have... All with different religious there's, you know, symbols. There's an Ankh, there's a Star of David, there's, you know, a Star and Crescent, there's a Buddha, like, there's every single religious symbol you could come up with. He's, like, he's chanting and, like, repeating prayers in a bunch of different languages until he gets out the Star of David and starts speaking Hebrew, which Imhotep recognizes. And apparently Benny also speaks ancient Egyptian because he understands, even though he doesn't get all the words, like... He's translating at one point, and he's like, come be my princess forever. And she's like, for all eternity, idiot. And it's like, really? Like, did you have to correct that? Like, this is a language no one's heard in 4,000 years. Like, he got the gist pretty well. Right, but uh, Imhotep recognized, uh, was it when he was speaking, um, what language was he speaking? Hebrew. Yeah, when he was speaking Hebrew, uh, recognized that language as the language of, of the right. So saw him as someone who could he could use right. Pretty much, just, this he, person could worship me. I could use. Well, this he person. said, "Perhaps I can make use of you, and the rewards yes. will be great." And he opened up his hand, and it was just full of gold. I don't know where he kept that gold because it's not like he had pockets. He kept it under wraps. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That joke was dry. Um, but he hands him this gold. And Why don't you call your mummy? Oh, complain God. to her about it. Oh, that joke's sphinx. <laughs> now you're just stretching. Oh. So he uh, decides 
to serve at he thinks that's the 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 right way to go because it'll save himself and it doesn't matter what happens to hit to anyone he knows you know evie does tell him like <laughs> nasty little buggers like you always get their come up and she's like wait really like i hope not like that would suck but even at the end after everything benny does o'connell still tries to help him i mean and benny does for his his small part, you know, even though he's incredibly greedy, uh, does end up helping the O'Connells because he's been shuffling treasure out of the uh, this giant treasure room because it was they mentioned that uh, Hamanaptra is where the wealth of Egypt was stored. So there's all kinds of gold and jewels and all kinds of artifacts and he uh, bags them up and puts them outside, you know, on the camels. And unbeknownst to the O'Connells, they write off with all these sacks of treasure. So that's how they're able to afford, like, this gigantic house that looks like it's a museum. But, uh, so Benny, Benny, Benny sucks. But he does provide one of the best lines of the entire, uh, entire film. Hey, O'Connell, looks to me like I've got all the horses. Hey, Benny, looks to me like you're on the wrong side of the river. (laughs) (laughs) And then he gets all mad. Benny, I think, is like Czech, maybe? He's got a very, like, hard-to-place accent. But he speaks the exact same way when he's Igor in Van Helsing. So what have you got next? What what uh, What am I missing that... So I kind of want to sidestep for a moment and talk a little bit about the casting decisions because I feel like the characters of Rick O'Connell and Evie perfectly casted, like to the point where I don't know if I could envision other actors playing these characters. Mm. So when it came to casting for Rick O'Connell, um, I other people were actually considered for the role before Brendan Fraser and uh, people like um, oh let's see here I have it in my notes somewhere bear with me I'm trying to um, this is something I don't know about yeah so I know Tom Cruise was actually offered the role he did Uh, eventually get it well (laughs) for a different movie uh yeah and it was also offered to or these actors were thought of for the role brad pitt matt damon ben affleck chris o'donnell and matthew mcconaughey but those actors were either not interested or wouldn't fit into the role mcconaughey ended up doing sahara um the director and writers they ended up choosing Frasier because they wanted someone who understood, not only understood the character, but understood what they were trying to do with the character. They wanted someone who, quote, didn't take himself too seriously. Otherwise, the audience couldn't go on that journey with him. Oh, yeah, definitely not Tom Cruise. No, but there was something uh, so they had seen George of the Jungle, and they saw, obviously, you know, Brendan Frasier play George of the Jungle, and the um serious lightheartedness that he brought to the role. So he took the role seriously. However, he was serious about being a goofball with that role. Right. And again, you, you know, know and, and, same same thing from like Encino Man. You know, and obviously Rick O'Connell is uh he's kind of an homage to Indiana Jones in a way. Well he's he's that that archetype, you know, the Doc Savage, Indiana Jones 
the sh- not the shadow. Yeah, the shadow, the phantom. Like those, he's a pulp hero, uh, and I think he really fits that role like exquisitely. Ex- yeah, exquisitely. And the studio had considered some other actresses, but when it came down to it, I mean, and Rachel Wise, she. Uh, she auditioned multiple times for this role. Like they kept calling her back and calling her back and calling her back um, to come and audition for them. And finally, they were just like, "We don't have anybody." Like she's perfect. And it's almost like they kept calling her back because they were trying to make sure that she would be perfect for this role. But they really didn't have any. They they couldn't envision anybody else in this role. And to be completely honest, and my favorite part of that first film was when they were drinking around the. Camp campfire and she was talking about what she does and she's she's so impassioned and she's so just like i mean she's obviously super drunk she's like i'm a librarian and i was just like she is fucking adorable you did you said it right at that point and you know right after that she goes and now mr o'connell i'm going to kiss you and he's like oh okay uh, and like she goes to kiss him and passes out, and her head's uh, her face is in his lap. I'm like, that's even better. <laughs> nah, that's a bad joke. Oh, skipping the smooches. That's a bad joke. Uh, but anyways, like I just, I really, you know, I liked the character of Rick O'Connell, but I loved the character of Evie. And then bringing these two characters into the second film made me love these characters even more. So, you know, not only are we introduced to their son, Alex, in the most appropriate way ever, you know, mirroring an instance that happened to Evie, you know, when we were first introduced to Evie in the first film, you know, the, the instance that made me go, oh, yeah. That And it was what happened and what he said. So not only is he a klutz, but he's a fucking smartass. And I was like, yep, that is their son. Um, well, I mean, what you know, he said he was bored. And what did Rick say? He's like, I don't know. Build a better mousetrap. So he fucking did. Yeah, so he did. Uh, but they're, Rick and Evie O'Connell, they're married. They have a child. And they're adventurers now. Like, Evie is able to do what she's always wanted to do. Rick is able to continue what he's what he had been doing. But they have each other to do it with. And who, you know, to better... Who wants to adventure alone? And, you know, some of the uh, things that they were doing... You know, it's like, all right, we have to get into this into this room. She's like, here we go, hammer and chisel. And she hands him, like, what he's looking at, like, even Alex would be like, Mom, are these toys? She's like, fine, we'll do it your way. And he, like, takes this giant crowbar and crowbars the, the room open. But then, like, in the next room, like, they're trying to open up this this, this door. And she's, like, struggling with the, uh, with the, the um, with the crowbar. And he finds a key. He goes, eh, let's try it your way. And she's like, oh, all right. <laughs> like that great little back and forth right there. You know, like, and these are, there's even that line at the end when she's like, would you like to know what heaven was like? And he's like, later. Like, you know, like, because they've gone through all these fantastical adventures, like everything seems mundane to them. So we have to talk about Jonathan. 
Jonathan, who has not changed a bit. So these other characters, I mean, obviously, Alex were introduced to because he wasn't in the first film. These other two characters, Rick and Evie, go through fantastic character evolutions to the point where they're even more delightful to watch in this film than they were in the last. And then there's Jonathan. Jonathan, wow. Jonathan, who hasn't learned a goddamn thing. Well, Jonathan is, is a grifter. the same person from one film to the next. And, you know, I kind of like the fact that they still included him in the second film. He's just like that little bit of comic relief that, I mean, it's not really that necessary because, you know, the banter between Rick and Evie is quite comical. But uh, he puts them in situations that causes them to need to get out of those situations. But he also helps... Sometimes in a roundabout way. No, no, no. He definitely... When Evie was fighting uh, at the end of each movie, when Evie's fighting reincarnated Anoxin Moon, he's reading all the... Uh, all the, the, the He's reading from the book. Yep. Uh, in the second one, he goes to fight reincarnated Anoxin Moon, so Alex can read the book. Like... You know, he risks his life a few times. And what's really cute is they well, what's really cute is they both slip up on the, the the same part. They have difficulties with the same character. He and Alex, yeah. What's this one? It's like a a star. Oh, I know that one. A Menifus. <laughs> like because he didn't know what it was in the first one, and Evie told him, and then in the second one, it's like, oh my god, I can really help. I know this. Yes. Like, so I thought that was really cute, but I loved, loved the character evolution of our two main characters. So, you know, I know it was only two years in our time between the two films, but it's almost 10 years in the film years. And they have grown so much. You know, not only have they been together during this time, so they've kind of uh, grown, not only grown accustomed to each other, but have started to take on each other's traits. Rick is uh, a little more well-spoken. He's a little more knowledgeable than he was. And he is a little more cautious than he was, too. Also, you know, don't fuck with his family. Just don't. Because they mean more to him than anything. And he will fuck you he up. He will chase your car down and try to jump over a... a, a bridge you know i mean he went from i mean yes he kind of wanted to save the world but most importantly he wanted to save himself to he would be willing to put himself in harm's way to save the ones that he loves and evie fucking badass you know she picks I up a love... sword and starts fighting and it's like and alex says where'd you learn how to do that she goes i have I no, no idea. idea then she punches the guy in the face and kicks him in the balls that i learned from your father right like <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Like she, she uh, has this fearlessness about and her we now, see that this with Alex. ferocity that she didn't necessarily have before. I mean, maybe it was deep inside of her, but you know, Rick definitely pulled that out, and she learned so much from him. And again, we see it from Alex because some uh, she blocks a sword and like embeds it, like you know, uses the momentum, and the guy's sword gets stuck in the bookcase, and as he's trying to pull it out, Alex runs behind and pushes the bookcase, so it falls on the guy. So it's like he's getting involved, uh, and even like standing up to fucking Imhotep, and he's like, my dad is gonna kick your ass. Like, whoa. This kid is fearless. Like, yeah. because, well, I mean, but look at the setting that he was brought up in. What does Rick say? He's like, he'll be okay. 
He's tougher than you. Wait, I'm sorry. Struffer than struffer than me. He's smarter <laughs> than you. He'll be okay. And it's just like, like, I want to see. It's, there's enough time has passed. Let's see Mummy Four with fucking Alex. Like, who would you cast? Who would I cast? As, I would cast the same kid. Like precocious little Alex. I I would cast the same kid. And Tom Holland. Tom Holland gets all of those roles now. He j- I like Tom Holland. Tom Holland, Holland. is going to be Nathan Drake in the Uncharted movie, and that would like be the exact same thing as this. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So let... Uh, let somebody else have a turn? Well, this also is going to be like back in the day. It's like, oh, we need someone who looks like they're 14 and sounds like they're 14, but is really a full-grown adult. So it's okay. Timothy Chalamet. Uh... Let's see how he does in Dune because it looked fucking incredible. Uh, I really like. I think you'll like Dune. Like, oh, I already want to see it because I mean, Jason Momoa. Yeah, but that's no J- oh. Jason Momoa. But but we'll, anyway, we'll watch the original with Kyle MacLachlan. Oh fuck, I forgot he was and in that. Ding. Oh, I like Kyle MacLachlan. I mean, fuck Trey McDougal, but I like Kyle McLaughlin. I was going to say, um, he can't get a boner. It's a damn fine cup of coffee. Uh, but anyways, I, I, like I said, I, I loved the character development in this second film. So you have Rick being a little more cautious, a little more aware of what's going on around him, uh, using his smarts more. And then you have Evie just, you know, completely just socking it to anybody who crosses her path you know don't fuck with her and we learn a little bit more about her backstory so we still don't know a lot about rick o'connell and that's okay i feel like we, we learn we a lot know, about him we we, 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 well, yeah, but I mean, we don't know a lot of his backstory though well after evie gets taken uh the they've they've uh Found Imhotep in Hamanaptra with the help of reincarnated Anaxana Moon. And, you know, Oded Fair, as his part of his job and his sworn duty as a Magi, is to watch over and make sure the creature is not disturbed. Uh, so he goes and finds the O'Connells, and it turns out that that's what they want, you know, when the whole plot gets revealed. Because we haven't really talked about him yet either. Um, he goes, and when they're preparing for battle, you see this tattoo that um, Rick O'Connell has, and he says to him, and Alex even says to him at the beginning, he's like, oh, I saw, a, there's like a statue or a painting or whatever. He goes, it's got your tattoo. Like, there's a there's a mural or whatever, and the, the your tattoo is on it, and Brendan Fraser just kind of, like, blows him off. And then later in the movie, Oded Fair sees the tattoo, uh, Ardith Bay, which was the name of Boris Karloff's character in the original Mummy from 1932. I thought that was a really nice touch. Which I thought was fucking awesome. Yes. Uh, he uh, he says, uh, if I were to say to you that I am a stranger traveling from the east, seeking that which is lost, uh, Brendan Fraser goes, I would say I am a traveler from the West. It is I whom you seek. How did you know? He's like, oh, that's true. And he like shows him the tattoo. He goes, he goes, this tattoo means you are a Magi, a warrior for God. He's like, nah, it's just something that got put on me when I was in an orphanage in Cairo. It's like, that's an awfully specific thing, especially when you're seeing it in like these, 
you know, multi-thousand-year-old tombs and burial sites all over fucking ancient Egypt. It's a little weird. Well, we know that he... I mean, I don't think there's much to tell. I think that he grew up... We know he grew up in an orphanage in Cairo, and I think he went, as soon as he was old enough, right into the military. And I'm guessing he got into a lot of trouble as a kid. And, you know, the military was the place for him to go, but he was really smart. He's a kind-hearted guy. You know, he's a typical protagonist. You know what I mean? Like, he's just a typical protagonist uh, as far as his origin story goes. But it's not the origin story that's important. It's where that has led him. You know, like, he's just basically being moved into the right place. You know what I mean? Like... It's like he's being guided with all these supernatural forces that are acting around him. He's just kind of being guided into the right place, so he's there at the right time to make a difference and you know save the day, and then meet Evie, and then meet their, and then they have the son together, and they are able to uh, save the day once again. Like everything was predestined and fate, and it was pretty great. Um, but Oded Fair's character, he is a, a, a Magi who is uh, descended from Pharaoh's bodyguards who did not do a great job in, uh, in protecting the Pharaoh. Um, but uh, they, they were the guys who ended up catching uh, Imhotep and all his priests, mummifying them alive, performing the Hamdai, and uh, you know their, their sacred order... Uh, vowed to watch over the burial place, the resting place of uh, Imhotep uh, for the rest of time. And, you know, sometimes they're good at it. Sometimes they're not as good. But, again, all these things had to happen the way they happened, and they couldn't have happened any other way. You know, the O'Connells had to encounter Imhotep and know the whole story and everything. Um in order to be able to defeat him later on. The only thing that, you know, it's not like a plot hole or like a, a you know, an inconsistency or anything, but like, I would have thought that Rick would have picked up some ancient Egyptian. Like, Alex could read and write ancient Egyptian, but Rick, I mean, Rick doesn't seem like he was somebody who was overly interested in that stuff. Um... Because that scene at the end when they're fighting the horrible CGI Scorpion King, um, and Imhotep tries to take advantage of the situation by saying, I'm your servant, but he was sent here to kill you, and like turning the Scorpion King against him. It's like, and Rick's like, wait, what'd he say? What'd you tell him? What do you, what's going on? Wait, why is he mad at me now? Like, um, I thought that was pretty good. So this there's a lot of characters, and even like some of the secondary characters, like both movies are very similar plot-wise, like the beats are the same, like in the first one, it's like, hey, we need to get from point A to point B, we gotta do it quickly, let's talk to our friend who has a plane. In this one, it's like, we have to get from point A to point B very quickly, let me talk to my buddy who's got a hot air balloon. You know, like, each time, you know, it's, those characters, and those characters serve their purpose, and they're done, especially in the first one. Like, Winston's like, man, I wish I could have died, you know, flying my plane in the desert, and then dies flying his plane in the desert. But one of the things that I really enjoyed is 
part of the uh, story that they set up in the first film, they brought into the second film, and that is Anaxamun. Anaxamun, yeah, she yes. is good. Um, you know, they give the backstory, which is Imhotep's backstory. You know, Anaxunamun. Did I say it right that time? Yep. Okay. Uh, she was married or promised to the pharaoh, and she was having an affair with Imhotep. She was the pharaoh's and, consort and did not want to be the pharaoh's consort. And they killed the pharaoh, and she stayed behind knowing that Imhotep would be the only person who could bring her back to life. Right, and she... She committed suicide, and the line that she says, "My body is no longer his temple." Yes, like, that's it. And they they do tweak that slightly because you know he does refer to her as his future wife in the second movie when they're doing the the flashback scenes uh, to her and Evie in their previous lives. Mm-hmm. Um. So they did change that because they specifically mention her as Pharaoh's consort, which Pharaohs were supposed to be descended from gods and in some cases considered themselves gods. Mm-hmm. And gods don't ask permission for things. You know, kings and, and pharaohs and emperors. Oh, I like that. It's mine now. Like, doesn't matter what it is. And she clearly was not... Ha- he was, like, three times her age. Yeah, but she was, uh, she, she was not interested, okay? No, she was interested in Imhotep. And so they devised this plan to not only get rid of the pharaoh, but she was to kill herself, and Imhotep was going to bring her back to life because he was the only one who could do so. And at that time, that was the only plan they could think of to get them both out of the situation that they were currently in. Right, and that wasn't the original. The original plan was... I'm going to kill the pharaoh to free you and we'll run off together. But the Magi come in and we find out why in the second film because we get to see it from... Uh, they refer to her as Nefertiri even though the real name is Nefertiti but people are like, oh, but it has tit in it. People make Nefertiti. fun of it. Nefertiti. Uh, <laughs> Nefertiti was um, related to King Tut if I remember correctly. I believe that was uh, his... His one of his father's wives, if I remember correctly, I I'm, I may be cons- confusing him with Akhenaten. Um, but Nefertiti uh, Nefertiri was the name that they gave her uh, because it's a popular Egyptian name from uh, from history. Um, so like that dynamic, I get why. She wasn't supposed to, uh, you know, she wouldn't want to be with with the Pharaoh. I totally get it. It makes sense. What are you looking up there? What do you got? I'm just looking up. So, so Nefertiti, there's a lot on Nefertiti. So we're just going to save that for another day. Uh, um, yeah, there's a, it, it does tie in to King Tut a little bit. Uh, some scholars believe that Nefertiti ruled briefly after her husband's death and before the ascension of Tutankhamun. Akhenaten was her husband. So, um, yes, Akhenaten, right. yes. So, I mean, there's a 
There's, there's, there's a, a lot. So yeah, as as with most Egyptian mythology, just wanted to throw a little bit history, of history. There's a lot there. Who um, she was, but anyways, they they renamed her as Nefertiti, and she was the pharaoh's daughter, mm-hmm. and she uh, was a combatant to Aksanamun. Anak. Anak. Sanamun. Um, not necessarily a combatant, but uh, well, they, they were, were training. They were sparring they, they were training, partners. Yeah, they were sparring partners, but they were definitely at odds with each well, other. The, yeah, there's definitely a rivalry there because they are roughly the same age. And, and, and one is the daughter. One and is the one future is, wife. Right. So there was definitely a, uh, a dislike that was there between the two of them. I do want to... And that kind of gives you backstory as to... Um, you see little bits of... Like who Evie was in her past life, and then you realize that she was this person. But it gives you a backstory as to why. Oh, I know how to fight. All of a sudden, I well, know how it's to because I am the reincarnate of this person. Yes, I, I know how. I know how to get into this tomb. I know that if I turn this lock this way three times, that way four times, and then back twice, this door will open because I used to open this door all the time. Like I, I get it. Um, Oh, I was just going to say something. I totally Which, lost I mean, my thought. Totally explains her, you know, uh, aptitude. It's almost like Egyptian mythology, and all of this is calling to her. And that's why. Well, she talks about how she has, her uh, uh, mother was Egyptian and her dad was obsessed with Egypt. Right. So, I mean, so, I mean, like, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, if, if Oded Fair is. Uh, a descendant of the Magi, and so is Rick O'Connell. It only makes sense that she is somebody as well. Yeah, because their their like love story, like there was definitely a uh, oh, we're both good looking people, like. We're you're both the very only, attractive and starring in this movie. You're the we only should probably woman, get together. You're the only woman in this desert, but he's not like. He doesn't like come on to her. He's not like overly like, you know. Even when he gives her the tools that he stole, there's he's a kind of bit, like, I mean, like cute and quirky. Well, I mean, like there's a there's a cute attraction you between might, them. You know, like I mean, uh, might like might need these, you know, and you know, so keep to um, what, what you uh, what are you doing? Well, and that's uh, one of the things I liked too. Like it wasn't forced. It was cute and awkward. Right, which is a lot of meat cutes, to be honest with you. Like I mean. Look at ours. We weren't perfect. Yes, we were. It was awkward. <laughs> it was awkward four it times. It was stupid. Um, we said stupid shit, but anyways, yeah. Like, yeah, like you know, I do. <laughs> like, like you do today. No, no, just no. Just now. Like I do. Oh, oh, like I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you asked first, stupid. You asked first. You proposed in the street with a cookie. Okay. I was drunk. I didn't know who I was or where I was at the time, okay? You knew where you were enough to propose to me. With a cookie. Well, you didn't have time to go shopping. <laughs> but anyways, um, but I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I like their love story so much is it's cute. It's it's not these big romantic gestures. Well, it's he does like, fight an army of I'm, mummies for well, her. Well, I mean, like, there's that, but, you know, <laughs> but there's no big romantic gestures. There's no, like, oh, I feel suddenly find myself in your arms and your muscles are so big. I mean, like there were oh, a couple Oh, my face of... is in your lap. Well, 
I mean, there he were was a couple teaching of her how to fight. Well, I mean, like, yeah, and there were a couple of moments. I mean, like, he did throw her overboard. He's like, can you swim? Of course I can. If the situation calls for it, it calls for it. And he throws her off the boat. You know, but it, he it, it saved just, her. But it was, but it was cute. Like there was an innocence to the both of them, and I think that's what's so likable and relatable about the whole thing. You know, that's kind of why you're rooting for them, not only to survive, but to kind of end up together. I mean, yes, they are extremely good-looking people, but you know, they're just they're really cute around each other, and they kind of remind you of your favorite couple who you know are just just cute around each other. You know, they say stupid shit and do stupid things, but you like them, and they clearly mesh they. Well. You know, or I was saying, like, clearly they are meant to be together. And clearly they are meant to be together in that second film because they have both rubbed off on each other enough where, you know, him taking on some of her personality and her taking on some of him personality, his personality uh, is what saves them both because there are times when they are separate and clearly her influence on him and vice versa like that's what's driving them that's what's saving them you know he's thinking a little bit more you know he's using his smarts more than he normally would have and she's more physical she knows how to protect herself physically at this point you know the whole scene where you know and that's what I learned from your father Mm -hmm. you know I mean it just it writes itself but I love these two characters so much I can't believe it took me this long to watch it but I'm glad that I watched it and feel like it's one of those films where you know um, a m- perfect movie night right there yeah like back to back you know you know sit on you the know, couch and, and I mean I know some of the Egyptology is it's it's all fluff it's all fake but it's kind of based off of real stuff yeah, I mean you know? they. I mean they throw and, they throw biblical stuff in there. Like he right, he came with the ten right. plagues of Egypt. You know the darkness, the locusts, the flies, the 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 boils but and the, sores. But there's a, there's enough stuff there where you're like I'm completely believing the story, and it doesn't beat you over the head with exposition. And it's not too like the action is great, but it's not too. You know when you have way too much action in a film and it's mostly CGI and it kind of gets all muddy. Like, to the point where you're just like, I have no idea what I'm watching at this point. Some Marvel films are like that for me. Um, You know, it doesn't get like that. Like, everything has a purpose. And you never stop rooting for these two characters, these main characters. You know, you, you... constantly want them to to win you know and they don't do anything to make you think otherwise yeah like they're they're not they're not horrible people it's not like you know like oh i need to learn a lesson so you'll root for me it's it's you know they they tell you who they are right off the bat they show you who they are and well even better yeah like they there isn't all of this you know backstory and stuff we still don't know why o'connell was in that turkish prison other than he had a very good time well and apparently he was actually strangling during that scene yeah that's brendan fraser yeah like he was actually um and hold on i do have some fun little trivia bits here oh i like the trivia bits he tore a spinal disc cracked a rib and injured his knees during production Ooh. I believe that that was in the second film, though. But in the first film, yeah, he uh, he actually almost died. He was literally suffocating when he was hanging in that scene. Ooh. Like, that. That's, that's dedication to a role. Like, let's see Jackie Chan do that. You know, let's see Tom Cruise do that. Like, 
that's uh, like I hope they didn't actually drop him because like that would have been awful. Well, I mean, what happened actually happened. He did most of his own stunts, which is why in the second film he got so injured. Yeah. Well, I mean, and in they the didn't cut away in the action film. Um, it was very tightly choreographed because a lot of the the mummies and stuff those were all CGI. Yeah, like guys wearing suits for the most part. Like there was the, no no because there was there was some live mummies and like there was a lot of. Uh, a lot of the CGI as well, like the guys, like right. But the there, arm were, there were several around. scenes where uh, Brendan Fraser actually had to keep his choreography super tight because Barely he wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> oh, choreography, oh, is, choreography tight. is tight. Um, because he was pretty much fighting a green screen, not people dressed in motion capture, yeah, just but just a green going screen. Through the motions. So it's like I need you to hit this point at this time. I need you to do this. So yeah, which I think just kind of makes the film even better. Yeah, yeah. It's if you haven't and seen these, I one hundred percent. I had them. seen the Scorpion King, and the Scorpion King was actually the first film I watched of. All of these. And I thought the Scorpion King was just terrible. I think that's why I didn't watch these. Yeah. Um, because the Scorpion King wasn't good. It now, wasn't good. the lore of the Scorpion King that was introduced in the beginning of the fir- uh, the second film, that was kind of cool. Yes. The, uh, the opening. Well, it's the same as the opening from the first one. Here's the central conflict. This is what we're going to be dealing with for this film. This is why... We don't want this to happen. And then let the movie play out the way it did. I will say, and again, if you're one of those people that's like, well, it was only 2001, you know, that's CGI. All right, Terminator 2 came out in 1991. Jurassic Park came out in 1993. There's no excuse for your CGI to look bad after that. The Abyss came out in 1987. So there is no excuse for your CGI to look worse 14 years later. Than it did when it first came. Michael Jackson's Can You Feel It video had better. uh, I'm sorry, not Michael Jackson. The Jackson 5's video, Can You Feel It, had better CGI in 1975. The Genesis sequence from Star Trek 3 and Star Trek 2 had better CGI than the Scorpion King in 2001 just saying i'm i hate the way the rock looks in that so but that's just me so ashes any final thoughts on this you want to throw out there yes when can we watch them again anytime we want we own them so okay it's anytime uh i believe they're all on hbo max um all three of them. Oh, we we will have to check out Tomb of the Dragon Emperor because we haven't seen that one, uh, mainly because they bring back you know pretty much everybody. John Han is back as Jonathan. Um, obviously, Brendan is back as Rick O'Connell, but they cast Maria Bello as Evelyn. That is because Rachel Weisz had just had Daniel Craig's baby, and she declined the role. She yeah. wasn't working at that time. She was like, you know what? I want to be home with my kid. Uh, you still need to see Constantine because she's amazing in that. So uh, we both recommend it. Check it out. If you have HBO Max, it's on there. If not, I'm sure one of your friends has the DVDs that you could borrow. Uh, you need to watch it. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. We have a new battle. And, 
Yeah, so we'll be right back. Do you have a hankering for horror knowledge? We have such sights to show you. Do you require raging retro reviews? Do you desire discussions with devastatingly dashing dorks? To have a free the Dorkening Podcast Network has nearly 30 shows to satisfy all of your nerdy, geeky, and dorky needs. From horror reviews and celebrity interviews. Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet Films and the star of Allison. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. Hi, guys. This is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. As well as nostalgic trips into the past, pop culture, the latest in entertainment news, and so much more. Featuring a variety of shows and hosts that will simultaneously enrage, enlighten, and entertain you. Check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. My mom says I'm cool. Available on iTunes, Spotify, thedorkening.com, and wherever fine podcasts can be found. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. more powerful than any the world has ever known is about to be unleashed by the two people who should know better. Rachel Weiss, John Hanna, Arnold Voslu, Odette Fair, Patricia Velasquez, introducing Freddie Both, and The Rock as the Scorpion King. The Mummy Returns. And we are back. I hope you enjoyed that discussion about the uh, various characters from 
1999 and 2001's Mummy and the Mummy Returns. Uh, it's such a delightful movie. If you haven't seen it, like Ashes, uh, you just haven't gotten around to it somehow, uh, definitely do yourself a favor and check this movie out. It's so much fun. Uh, it's just... It's just... It's... I don't know. The fun is the other word I was going to use. I was saying, like, like, there really is no other way to describe it. It's really just a lot of fun. Um, you know, not much to really think about. They give you all of the information that you need. Uh, you know, the CGI isn't terrible. It's, you know, I mean, Brendan Fraser and, and there's a lot of, Rachel Weisz. I mean, you, you really can't go wrong. And there's a lot of really great practical effects as well. I mean, this is true. Yes. We were commenting on those as well. Mm-hmm. Like, especially at the beginning of the uh, second movie when, like, you know, the, the walls break open and, you know, they're like, oh. He- 